Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. It's Pac-12 Championship Week, and we are bringing on one of our favorite guests, Mike Jorgensen, the color analyst for the Ducks. You all know him better as Jorgie. We're going to talk about the rematch with Washington, get into what uh, what you should expect, where the Ducks most need to improve from their last game, the last time these two met. All of that, a little bit of Heisman talk about Bo Nix as well at the end. A lot to get to. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. We've got Mike Jorgensen here to talk to us about the upcoming Pac-12 championship game. Jorgie, how are you doing today? Good. Good, Jack. How about you? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited. This is this is kind of what we were hoping for, for the rematch. I, I know I'm speaking for at least for Oregon fans because after that Washington loss in uh, week seven, I believe it was, you know, everyone kind of wanted another crack at them again. And I think that everyone's kind of just really happy that this all came to fruition and all the pieces landed in the right spot to get this to happen. Was there ever really any doubt for you or in your mind that these were the two best teams in the conference or that this would actually be the, the eventual matchup in the Pac-12 championship game? Well, I mean, I felt, and I think all of us felt when these two teams came together mid-season, it was easily the best two teams in the league going head-to-head in, in, in that close loss up in Seattle for Oregon. And uh, and I'm glad it's played out that way because, you know, so oftentimes teams can peak in the middle of the season and then really tail off at the end of the season and get beat by a team or two. And, you know, it's been close calls for Washington, there's no doubt about it, one-score games and you know, a couple of games that even other teams hung in there a lot more than they probably should have. But bottom line is they're undefeated. You know, it's been since Oregon did it, which is not a, quite a while ago, uh, that a team's run the league undefeated, and let alone be able to finish the season that way. So I still feel that way today. It's the best two teams. I'm glad the Pac-12 Conference got that right in the last couple of two or three years of the league is to have the two best teams in the league playing in the championship versus a champ a South champ and a North champ. And uh, it just happens to be Oregon and Washington going at each other. So it's even better. So, I mean, you've, you've covered a lot of games in your career as the, the color analyst for the ducks. Um, we've already said a lot of stakes on the line last ever PAC 12 title game, potential trip to the college football playoff, a, a potential Heisman on the line for Bo Nix. When you look at this game and you look at what's on the line, I mean, take away the the two national championship games that you've covered. Is this among the the biggest games that you've really called for the Ducks in your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for a couple of reasons it probably is. It's not only what the trajectory of this team is and the way that they're trending and the way that they're playing and have consistently played since that Washington loss midseason. Um I mean, it's not just that, but it's trying to get into the playoff and, and where I think they've got a legitimate chance to win it. Uh, you know, I can't say back in, for example, I look at the 2014 season and I could say that that would mirror it. And it did. I mean, you know, you had a one loss team who lost to Arizona in the middle of the season and played the rematch in the Pac-12 championship game. And you knew you kind of had to have that game to get into the playoffs and, and that type of deal. You had a potential Heisman Trophy winner, Marcus Mariota, and here we are with Bo Nix right in the middle of it. I mean, it's just, it's almost like deja vu of 2014. So 
that game, even though uh, when those two teams got together, it wasn't a jam-packed stadium. It wasn't the right environment. There wasn't all the hype around that game because I think at that point in time, it felt like Arizona was just holding on for dear life and Oregon was turned in the right direction. Well, I feel like Oregon is again. And uh, But, you know, that game sold out in Las Vegas a long time ago. So it just was that much bigger and each team just needed to take care of business. And, and they did, you know, again, a lot tougher for Washington, Oregon, they didn't make it tough on themselves because they played such good football. Now they just hope it continue to go. So I would say uh, long answer there. Yeah. Yeah. By far, because I think this team has a legitimate shot to win the whole thing. You know, what's funny. I just made this connection in my head while you were talking another, another parallel to that 2014 year. That's when Ohio state was down their quarterback who broke his leg in a game and they had to rely on their second or third string quarterback. And you've got the same situation with Florida state this year too. It's just kind of little interesting tidbits on how, how this is similar to that year. Um, Let's hope that the result is a little bit different than that year was though. That's right. Um, That's right. So you, I want to ask this question to you in a couple of different ways. You played the game at a high level. You know what it's like to prepare for a team. Did you ever have situations where you played a team twice in a single season? Yeah, not that I remember. I mean, you know, we weren't we weren't good enough to be going to bowl games where you had a <laughs> potential rematch, let alone a conference championship at that time. But yeah, no, never, never in high school, never in college had to play the same team twice in a season, and it's. You know, it's tough. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of coaches talk about it over time, even players that have been in that type of situations. It's tough to beat the same team twice um, in Washington's position. And, of course, you're always a little bit more motivated if you were on the wrong end of that first matchup. Uh, but, yeah, I've, I've never been in that type of situation. So it's it's unique. I mean, you know, and, and, and there was a lot of talk about that, Zach. I know mean, you probably heard it the week that Oregon was going up to play Washington was, you know, wouldn't it be great if these two teams ended up playing for the Pac-12 championship game? And there's a good chance of it. And, you know, the, some of the uh, radio honks up in the Seattle area are even talking about the fact that wouldn't it be great if they played twice and then sa- somehow ended up one and four or two and three and played three times in a season? You know, I guess it could happen, yeah. right? But at the same time, yeah. Two is probably enough, and uh, two will be a lot of fun. And the second one's going to be a blast. It's interesting you make that note about. I mean, it's it's a common cliche in football that it's it's tough to beat a, the team twice. And so I don't know. Would you rather be the team that won the first time and has a chance to beat them twice, or the one that lost the first time and has a chance to avenge that loss? It's kind of interesting because obviously you'd rather be the the team that won the first time, but. I don't know, that chip on your shoulder being the team that lost the first game and is coming back with a little bit of extra emotion, a little bit of edge, that's got to mean something. I think there's a little bit of an advantage there. I mean, you don't want to be the team that loses that first one because your goal is to be undefeated all season long and get to this position like Washington has where to win one more to get into the playoffs and you know move to 13-0. and But it just feels like, I guess, and never having been in that position before, it just feels like the motivation edge is to the team that got beat in that game, particularly if they didn't get beat soundly. I mean, if it was a close game where you felt like you should have won the game, and I think a lot of Oregon fans felt that way and probably some Washington fans deep down, uh, you do feel that way. And so I, I think this this Oregon team, they're not. there's not going to have to be a whole lot that motivates this team, to be honest with you. They are going to get after it, and I can't wait for it. Um, you know, I sit there and I think about it, Jack, it's funny. We, we, we keep talking and talking and then I go back while I'm talking to you and think, okay, 
Yeah, but Oregon played Utah twice in the season, right? And Utah got them That's twice true. and got them good. Mm-hmm. Pac-12 yeah. championship game. And that was a different team. team. That was a very different, different Oregon team. team. Right. No, no, <laughs> doubt, no doubt about it. But at the same time, it happened. USC yeah. USC and Utah here recently you mm-hmm. know, played two games in a season. Both of them, well, not both of them barn burners. The first one a barn burner. And then Utah just mm-hmm. took it to them the second time in which you thought USC might have been the motivated team. So, you know. We'll see, but just glad to be in this position. I think all of us are. So from a, a professional perspective, not a player's perspective, what's it like preparing for a team twice covering the team when you're, you're doing, I mean, you cover these teams. You've, you've obviously covered many Oregon versus Washington games in your career, but you're covering this team. You're covering Michael Penix. You're doing your research on Romo Dunes twice this year. How much more prepared do you feel and how much like kind of deeper into the research, I guess, have you been able to get just kind of knowing what you're, what you're expecting this time? Well, I think what I've been able to enjoy a lot more and really get more familiar with Washington as the season's gone on is being able to watch football games that they're actually in. You know, for me, it's just about taking my stats sheet from week five and updating it, leaving all the names there and then just putting in new numbers. And really, things didn't change a whole lot. I mean, the numbers got bigger. But from an individual standpoint, it was pretty much the top ranked receiver, the second rank, the third rank, the fourth rank. You just plug in new numbers for them. And but you get a chance to watch them on TV and defenses go against them, whether it was Washington State this last weekend or Oregon State the weekend before or when they go on the road and, and had a tough time with Stanford down in Palo Alto or uh, USC on the road in the wild game they played down there. You know, for me, that's where I really enjoyed and became much more familiar with the ins and outs of, of Washington's offense and defense and special teams is being able to watch them in action, watch it, watch them go against certain fronts, defensive fronts, certain pressure packages where they take advantage of the corner position and where Odunze tends to line up on the field more often than not. You, know, you get a feel for that, and then you start sprinkling in the guys like Jalen McMillan, who didn't play against Oregon, uh, that was a great player for him last year and is trying to get back into playing shape type of situation. Now you've added that little uh, wrinkle to their offense to go with some other talented receivers. And so, you know, for me, really the difference between the first one and this one is just I've, got, I've had a lot more time to be able to watch them, absorb them, um, have things memorized, have numbers memorized, have players memorized. So it's a, it's going to make the broadcast, I think, a lot more, a lot easier, but also at the same time, very enjoyable. Um, we have that that early October game as a reference. Looking at this game, still with that kind of fresh in your mind, you feel confident about Oregon's chances if they what? If they're able to do what on Friday night? Oh, I, th- I think in this particular game, to be able to run the ball for 175, 200 yards, I think Washington will be in a lot of trouble if Oregon's able to do that. Um, these last two games, you know, the, the strength, frankly, and, and it's, it was it got exposed with Arizona State twice in a row with Arizona beating them bad like they did. Is It just felt like through the air was going to be the way to go because of the defensive fronts for Arizona State and Oregon State. And that's exactly the way Oregon went. Threw the ball, threw the ball, threw the ball down in Tempe. And it did the same thing for the most part against the Beavers. And that was the route that they took. And the ground, the ground yards and the rush yards were not easy, not easy to come by. And to me, I don't necessarily think it's going to be easy with Washington. I think everything's going to be difficult because they'll be fired up too. But to me, if this team is able to run it and run it successfully throughout the game, it just it puts the Washington defense in a real pickle as to what's coming next. How do you defend the pass when you've got to stack the line of scrimmage? 
And then when you start to run it against a stacked line of scrimmage, you get guys like Troy Franklin and, you know, Tez Johnson, who has just been, re- you know, remarkably good that second half of the season. He was good the first half, but he has just really emerged in the second half. So yeah. you've got, you know, you got a lot of alphas on the offensive side of the ball, let alone an offensive line, except for the Joe Moore Award and continues to be. So run the ball. I say it probably every week to Jerry and Joey. I, I say that ad nauseum. They make fun of me, but run the damn ball. I mean, that's the way I look at it. And I can't wait to see if Oregon can do that against Washington. I think they can. And that leads perfectly into this question. I've found that kind of interesting over the back half, the last few weeks of the season that, you know, the offense has kind of shifted into more of a pass heavy system over the last few games. Oregon hasn't had a game with more than 150 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the ground since it was week 10 versus Cal. Meanwhile, Bo's passing numbers, they've definitely gone up. And, you know, his attempts haven't necessarily gone up, but the numbers, I mean, it's clear that there's finding more success through the air. Does that worry you at all that it's kind of the running has taken a little bit of a backseat to the passing? And do you think that's something they need to get back to as a balanced attack just in, in order to, you know, have success when these stakes are so much higher? Yeah, I mean, I hope they're able to get back to it because it's a function of what the defense gives you type of situation versus feel like you have to force it. Uh, I don't think his offense needs to force anything. They're just as good and through the air as they are on the ground. And, and for me, it's more about matchups. It, it's the matchups mm-hmm. that you have of the defenses you play as to where their strengths and weaknesses are. And you take advantage of that. I mean, you still got to body blow teams to keep them honest. You can't throw it 60 or 70 times a game and, and run it 15, particularly with the talent that you have on this team out of the backfield. But it really is about matchups. And each week, I think, towards the end of the season, it's been against teams that are not as good against the pass and better against the run. And oftentimes, a, a lot of the pass plays that Oregon runs are glorified sweep or run plays where you got Bucky Irving swinging out to the to the outside and somebody has to account for him and you swing it out to him like a, a, a sweep. Uh, sometimes those wide receiver screens that are predetermined are a glorified running play type of deal. So, you know, I still think, Zach, really I do. I think it's, it's a, it is a, a mechanism that's based on what the defenses give you and what they don't give you and what you can take advantage of. And I think Oregon just feels like they've had the advantage in the past game, the last four or five games, and uh, probably felt like they had the advantage in the run game too, but also knew it was going to be tougher against teams like Arizona State and Oregon State and some of the others they played towards the end of the season. Yeah. There's there's one player in particular I want to talk to you about. Um, I want to ask about Julio Florence. He's someone he didn't play last game. We've seen him on crutches on the sideline. Um, Lanning said, we talked to him on, on Monday night. He said he wasn't sure if he'd be able to play, but he's you know the number two cornerback on this team. He's started all 11 games, well, 11 of the 12 games now. Um, assuming he's unable to play. We don't know for sure. We'll see that it'd be awesome if he could play, but assuming he's unable to play, how big of a, you know, a detriment is that to this, this defense, especially going up a team, going up against a team like Washington that has such a, you know, insanely good passing attack with several receivers that can't hurt you. Yeah. You want your best matched up on the best. There's no doubt about that. And, and Jaleel Florence was playing such confident football this year. Uh, you could just see it the way he held himself on the field, the way that he played. Uh, Even in rare occurrences where he'd get beat, he goes to the next play. And it just reminded me of the days of Thomas Graham and some of those guys that, you know, as young freshmen, they would get beat. And you wonder if they're ever going to be able to overcome it. And you get to the sophomore and junior years, and they're just so confident in what they do. They're they're willing to go against anybody, whether it's a a Blitnikoff uh, 
uh, award finalist or whether it be, you know, somebody else type of situation. They love that challenge. So I think it's a big deal, you know, because it's, it's, as I said before, with Oregon's pass game versus rush game, it's about matchups. And mm-hmm. Washington obviously is going to hope to be able to take advantage of the matchup if he's hurt and find out where what they think the weakness is, whether it's at the corner position or whether you have to t- bring a safety, your best coverage safety, up on one of those wide receivers, which is what you don't have to or hope to have to do. But if you mm-hmm. do, that's something that Penix and Washington's offense is really good at exploiting. And so uh, the Jalil Florence deal is a big deal. There's no doubt about it. I hope he's well enough to play. Um, I hope if he does play, he's not playing 75% because I don't think that's going to do you any good against this wide receiver group either. So um, run the ball, run the ball, score points, and hopefully that overcomes any type of uh, you know challenges that you might have with injuries. But uh, he sure has played good this year, there's no doubt. He's played incredibly well. We knew that he was a you know highly rated recruit, someone that Dan Lanning really wanted yeah. last year coming into Oregon, and he's he's stood up to the to the task. It feels like this is going to be a really really big game for Dante Manning, and he played well. I mean, he got his first career interception against Oregon State last week. Um, he got beat a couple times, but like you said, he he always found ways to bounce back and you know keep making the right plays and keep his head up and um, keep playing hard. So. Um, I've always had a lot of high hopes for Dante Manning. I know fans, a lot of them have too, yeah. because he was, I mean, as much as recruiting doesn't matter once you recruiting rankings don't matter. Once you start playing, you know, he is the highest rated corner that has ever signed with the ducks. And so, um, there's been this, these high hopes for him to actually find his mm-hmm. footing and be one of the top defenders for the ducks. I think he's got a chance to really step into that sort of a role this weekend. Yeah, he does. I mean, he he's got the he's got the talent, and you know, I, I can't imagine playing a corner out there one on one against some of those guys where you got to be ultra confident. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, like good golfers of which you are, and you understand it when you watch the the great pro golfers and that type of deal is, you know, you got to be able to flush that previous play away. So whether it's a you know pass interference that, that that somehow you're involved with, or a big gain, or a fantastic back shoulder catch that somebody's made, or whatever it might be, you know the best defensive backs are able to get past that to the next one and have that same confidence. And you know I see it in Manning, I see it in Triquez Bridges when he comes in, and he hasn't necessarily been the main guy on the field, and yet there's been times when he's come in this season after there's been injuries and he's played some of the best football in his career here. Uh, playing as not necessarily the starter. And so he's going to play a big role in that game too. And so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the challenge that Dante Manning is is going to take on. Uh, I think he's a confident young man. I know the coaches have all the confidence in the world in him. And, uh, you know, this defense really, regardless of who they plug in, is playing some really good football right now. And it doesn't necessarily have to be on a defensive back's shoulders if the defensive line up front is doing their job too and putting some pressure on Penix and making him hurry the ball a little bit more, uh, you know, shrinking that clock in the backfield when he goes back to pass, getting people in his face. Because when he does have people in his face or the pressure, the ball doesn't tend to go on on target very often. So, you know, it's going to be a cat-mouse game between these two teams, trying to figure out where the weakness is, where the best matchup is, uh, catching them in a certain coverage and taking advantage of it. Um, it's going to be a, a, a cat and mouse game to, between these two teams, but I think there's going to be a lot of work done in the trenches. And uh, just like what Oregon has done overall defensively, consistently all mm-hmm. season long, regardless of who's at corner, who's at safety, who's at linebacker, who's at the defensive line, 
they've just played lights out defense this year. And I think they're, they're going to take that challenge on with Washington this week. And I think the, you know, if you were to ask me my biggest key to the game for this, for me, it would be if they can get pressure on Penix and if they can really get him uncomfortable and try and move him out of the spot. We were talking to Brandon Dorless today and he said, he's like, you know, when he's, when he's sitting in a clean pocket and able to look in the, down the field, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Yeah. But when you get him moving, you get him around. He's a, I mean, Brandon came out and said, he's like, he's an average quarterback when he's on the move. And he was also yeah. asked, I mean, he, he sees these ducks see that he's a little bit injured. They know that he got banged up a little bit in that last Oregon game. He's not playing at a hundred percent and they want to get after him and try and, you know, bang him up a little bit. So that's a very well-known thing. And I think that that um, obviously, like you said, when he's, you know, when he's forced to throw out of a, a muddy pocket a little bit, those balls are yeah. a little bit different coming out of his hand. So I think that'll be huge for the secondary, the defensive line, everyone as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. I mean, anytime you can speed that clock up in a quarterback's mind, it makes it a lot tougher. I don't care if you're Bo Nix or Michael Penix or whoever it might be, but you know, Oregon did a good job of banging him around up in Seattle and you're exactly right, Zach. I mean, when they were able to get anywhere near him, the ball was nowhere near where it was supposed to be. And so if you can mm-hmm. do that on a consistent basis, you know, oftentimes quarterbacks, certain quarterbacks start to hear steps. Even if the steps aren't there, they start to hear it. And they start to make throws a little quicker than they normally would to an area they wouldn't have normally done in the past. And, uh, you know, so no doubt. I mean, that's going to be one of the keys to the game, too, is being able to put pressure on him. But, I, you know, going back to the, the, the Dante Manning conversation is he's better when they're better. And they're mm-hmm. better when he's better. And so it's a complementary type of situation that they got to be able to play off of each other. And you know, that D-line certainly can help. And you know, Jeff Bossa, I mean, he's been finding himself in the backfield as much as the defensive line has with some of the twists that they've been doing up front. And Yeah, and in his, his burst of speed as a DB, but still the size of a linebacker now, has been uh, a big factor in the pressure on the quarterback, even when they don't get the guy down. You know, when DJ was playing this last week, he got hit three or four times by Bossa hard. Didn't get sacked, but that takes its toll over time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this game last time, last in October, I believe it was week seven, the decision-making for Dan Lanning was scrutinized a little bit um, after the game. You know, 0 for 3 on fourth down, people are going to, fans are going to have their opinions, media pundits are going to say what they want to say, whatever you, whether you agree with it or not. Do you think that changes anything going into this game? We're all human, so it's fair to think that he might maybe second-guess himself a little bit based on the results from last time. What do you expect? Do you think that changes, or do you do you kind of think that we see the same old Dan that we're used to seeing? Yeah, you know, all coaches learn, you know, from 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 situation they've, situations they've been in and where the score is and at what point in the game is and that type of deal. And, you know, he – he took some chances in that game and they didn't pay off. There's no doubt about that. I mean, there's there's also some chances that he took where, you know, Bo Nix, a, a guy that's completed 80% of his passes this year and missed, a, I think, a wide open Trayshawn Holden out in the flat. You know, and so you, mm-hmm. can, you can point at that and yet look what he's done for the rest of the season. And it shouldn't have come down to just one or two plays. And But there's going to be, in every game, there's going to be some tough, tough decisions to make. Um, you know, since that point in time, this team has played lights out. So they haven't had to come to that type of decision in a game for the most part. I mean, because they pulled away at the end. So at that time, when it was maybe a big decision, it didn't become a, a big deal, whether it worked or didn't work because they performed so well on the back end of these games, particularly in the second half. So, you know, it's going to be one of those ones where coaches got to make 
the decisions they have to make. And uh, they learn from past experiences in games, uh, down distance, time on the clock, everything else that plays into it that could be completely different this, this week than it was that week up in Seattle. Uh, they had some opportunities I'm sure they'd like to have back, uh, but you can't get them back. You got to move forward, and you know it's going to be interesting to see over his career, not even this week. Uh, when it comes to those type of decisions, does he go or doesn't he go? Do you do you go fourth and one at your own forty, or do you punt the ball away? Do you you know there were things he did last year against BYU and some other teams that caught us all off guard, and they were keys to winning games. So mm-hmm. you know we'll see. It, whatever ends up happening. I'm good with it because this has been a lot of fun this year, and this team is uh, in a great position to be in a playoff, regardless of what happened up in Washington. Yeah, I think at this point he's kind of he should have earned the uh, the fan base's trust on what he does and does not decide yep. to do. I think that he's he's got a pretty good batting average when he it comes to making those job, yeah. calls. Um, we don't have. I mean, we could have a, a very long conversation about this. I want to touch on it just briefly. The Camden Lewis situation, um, it's been, he had a, a incredible start to the season. He's had a really solid career at Oregon, obviously the all-time scoring leader at Oregon, passing Royce Freeman a couple weeks ago. He struggled at times and struggled in some big moments. Um, I, I know that's probably tough for Lanning and the coaching staff to deal with because, you know, I'm sure if they had another really good option, they would probably go to him. But at this point, I don't know that this late in the season, you feel confident going to your true freshman kicker, uh, Grant Meters. Um, what do you make of the entire situation? I know we talked about the golf mentality, and we know that Camden's <laughs> he a golfer. He just took the words well. right out of my mind. I mean, he, Camden's a good golfer. I've golfed He's with him before. He knows, he knows how important it is to, to focus on the next shot and wash everything else that's happened before. But what do you make of the situation that you've seen um, play out the rest of the, over the course of this year? Uh, you know, that's a really, I mean, it's a really good question because, you know, we, we see Camden on a regular basis and he's great to us. He's great to everybody. You've had that experience with him too. He's just such a, a great young man. Um, he's made some huge kicks in his career. Um, he's going to make some more huge kicks in his career. You know, sometimes you get into that little funk and you got to kick your way out of it. And that's where he is right now is, you know, you, you got to kick your way out of it. If you get the opportunity in this game to kick a field goal early in the game, make it because all of a sudden you make it, you get that mentality of a positive deal. You miss that first five foot or six foot putt on the first hole every five or six footer from that point on is a guessing game. And so, you know, just kick the ball. He's, he's a good player, knows what he's doing out there. He's an accurate kicker. Uh, he's going to be the guy all the way through. And he's going to, I have a funny feeling here at the end of the season, he's going to be put in a position where he has to make a big, big kick and he's going to make it um, because it, it just, again, the mentality and the maturity that he has. Uh, I'd rather have a guy like that fighting through a, a guy that's been here a long time, very confident in his routine, what he does, the, the way that he coaches the rest of those kickers to, to go through the mental routine of it. I would rather have nobody but him in this situation right now to have to fight his way through it. And I think he's going to do it. And like you said, it, it feels like that could be building to something like this, where it is on the leg of Camden that they really need a kick. I mean, we just look at the stakes of this game, which we already laid out. It's the last Pac-12 game ever. One of the best Pac-12 games ever. Winner goes to a college football playoff. This rematch of this incredible game for earlier in the year. The, the, you know, the stage is set. It came to a field goal, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. And it came down to a field goal that he missed. And that kind of, I know he missed a, I think he missed one um, in the Stanford game before that, but that was kind of the start of his downturn for the year. And he's really struggled since that game. If it came down to his foot, it just, it seems too perfect. Kind of like a storybook ending to send out your all-time scoring leaders, making a kick in the Pac-12 championship game or whatever game at the end of this year. Um, I don't know. It just feels too perfect. I could really see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it does. I mean, again, I go back to that Washington game and we, we talked about it a little bit in relation to, you know, going for it on fourth down and that type of deal. It would have been interesting if we kick one of those field goals, say at the end of the first Mm -hmm. half and it's a tie game and he's kicking the game winner versus having Mm -hmm. to tie the game at that kick and the mental process that you go through in that type of situation that might be completely different because if you miss it and of course no kicker is coming up saying, well, if I miss it, we're going to overtime. I mean, that's not the way they think. But at the same time, you got that fallback. And on a 36-33 situation, you got no fallback. You kick it or you walk off the field and shower. And uh, so there's a lot of situations that happen in a game. But I agree. I think it's building to that opportunity where he has struggled kind of that second half of the season from a consistency standpoint on field goals. And uh, it's going to put him, I think, potentially in a position where he's going to have to make one. might not be the end of the game but it could be a critical field goal at a big point in time in the game uh, that he's going to come through. And I have no, no doubt that, that he will. I mean, I think Jerry and I are on the same page and anytime we get a chance to talk to him, we're rooting for him harder than anybody. And uh, I think a lot of people are, and, and he knows that he knows that he's, he's been here too long not to know that. Yeah. It's kind of tough being in this position where, I mean, I, you know, as a journalist, you have to, state the obvious and and be a little bit critical of hey he he should be making 30 or 4 yard field goals he should be doing this a little bit better than he is but man I'm rooting for him so hard because he is the I nicest know. guy and he is and they're so the close too to be around. they're so yeah, close he was, yeah he's yeah his misses are close i mean that's the thing about it yeah. is if he was just hooking the ball you know 20 mm-hmm. yards to the left or pushing it clear out to the right but they're just barely off and and so mm-hmm. you know again Take it back to golf. You know, when you're missing it here or there, you try to aim it. And sometimes when you yeah. try to aim it, you leak it out to the right. And then when you try to yeah. overhit it, it goes way to the left. And the guy knows what he's doing. And I, yeah. I can't, I hope he gets put in that situation again because I know he does too. He wants to be in mm-hmm. that position. Absolutely. Last one for you here. Um, quickly on Bo Nix. If they win on Friday, do you think he wins the Heisman? He better. He better. I mean, I, I don't know how he doesn't. It just, you know, what what bothers me, and who knows how Heisman Trophy Heisman Trophy voters look at things. And you know, I look on Twitter and I see some of the SEC honks down there, Feinbaum and others that are, you know, do, doing their do, doing their promotions of Jaden Daniels and that type of deal when they should be a neutral voter. You would hope as they go through it, but you know. It's like the Arizona State game. I mean, the guy throws for 400 yards and he plays one series in the second half, of which he throws a touchdown pass that probably should have been a touchdown and would have been number seven in the game. And then he's out. He doesn't play the rest of the game. And there have been multiple games that that's happened with him this year. And it's almost like it's a detriment in a way that that this team has performed so well because of him and others on the team that he gets penalized for not playing four quarters of a game where, you know, he could have – he's already got the all-time completions record, right? I mean, he could have mm-hmm. 350 instead of 315 yeah. if he plays the entire game. So, no, they win this game. If he doesn't win the Heisman, it, what a crock that would be. I mean, it just 
I, I don't know how he doesn't. And uh, even if even if they don't win this game, I don't know how he's not one of the top two. But I just if if, if Oregon comes through with this game and he has another real solid game, I don't think he has to be you know thirty seven for forty. He might do it, yeah. but at the same time, I'll be very well could be. Yeah, but but this team just needs to come through with a win. He needs to play solid. They've been playing solid. They win this game. I don't know how he doesn't win it, Zach. I really don't. Well, and what's interesting to see, I've. Jaden Daniels, what they're doing, he, he's been impressive, like to say the least. He's he's had a really good season. But you look at, I believe it's sixteen of his touchdowns have come against FCS opponents, and he's playing deep into the fourth quarter of these games against bad teams because they are trying to get those stats. That team is not playing this weekend. They're not in a conference championship game. Right. They're playing for the Heisman for him, while Bo and the Ducks are playing for a championship. We talked to Dan Landing about that last night, and he said, you know what? While that award means a lot to everyone, you know, what means the most is the championship. They don't they don't yeah. care about the Heisman. If they can go get a championship, if they can play in the college football playoff, that's what really matters. So, um, yeah, I, I think that if Oregon wins, that I think that that award is Bose. But it'll be interesting to see what happens if they lose. Because based on the rhetoric we've heard from media pundits that are, like you said, supposed to be unbiased and, and, and neutral in their voting, it sounds like, you know, a big push is being made for Jaden Daniels right now. I'm just a little bit worried about what would happen, um, yeah. you know, if the Ducks lose. Because I think either way, Bo is deserving. But we'll see. Yeah. And, and I would say this. Any quarterback that has thrown for as many yards as both these guys have and then runs for a 1,000 yards, too, is pretty amazing. So yeah. that's the one anomaly that I would have to say, mm-hmm. man, I don't care who you're playing against to be able to run for a 1,000 yards in a season. I know maybe that half the time means, <laughs> means you're running for your life. But <laughs> frankly, fr- frankly, he's the best running back on the team. So why wouldn't you run him? And that was going to give yeah. LSU the best opportunity to win is he had to do everything. But uh, that's the one anomaly in there that's completely different. Uh, you know, is that thousand yards rushing to go with his passing yards and all, all the touchdowns he scored. So, But if you got a thousand yards rushing and three losses on the season or maybe yeah. a couple hundred yards rushing and a spot in the college football playoff, I, think yeah, I know which one's the more valuable me, player. Know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and end it there, Jorgie. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it um, helping me preview this game, this rematch that we've all been waiting for. Um, I don't think you guys are doing the coaches show this week uh, because nope. of the short week. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. No coaches show this week. We'll get down there Thursday night and uh, get ready for Friday's kickoff. So uh, it's what we've all been waiting for, you know, one loss or no losses. And they found themselves in the conference championship game and in the last year. It's all we could ask for. So uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a great season, and hopefully it continues the way that this team wants it to. So thanks for having me on, Zach. Yeah. really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. Um, I will uh, look forward to seeing you down in Vegas. We'll uh, meet up in the press box and hopefully watch an incredibly entertaining game. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to it. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Jorgie. All right. Once again, thank you to Jorgie for coming on, breaking all of that down with us. Um, really good insight into Washington and kind of – how Oregon best can prepare this time and what needs to go a little bit differently. I also loved his take on Joey or on a, excuse me, Joey and the Heisman, Bo Nix and the Heisman. Um, I think that was uh, a really good insight from, I guess, a, a player who used to be a, a quarterback at Oregon. So um, that was some really good stuff from Jorgie. Always appreciate having him on. 
Real quick, I just want to, um, before we get out of here, talk a little bit about the college football playoff rankings that came out on Tuesday night uh, right before I recorded this. Oregon moved up to number five in the rankings. Um, This was expected. There was a little bit of a question whether it'd be Oregon at five, Ohio State at six, or Ohio State at five, Oregon at six. Um, Ohio State also just lost that game against Michigan this past week. That was their first loss of the season. Um, I could understand the case for Ohio State at five over Oregon. It would totally make sense. I mean, you look at the resumes right now. Ohio State has a better resume. That's that's fine. That's that's what it is. They've beat better teams. They beat um, Notre Dame. They beat Penn State. They've played a tougher schedule, and they lost a very close game to a better team um, at the moment than Oregon has. I mean, Oregon has the one loss to Washington. Ohio State lost to Michigan by, what was it, three points, I believe. I forget the final score of that game. But um, in reality, that doesn't matter because Ohio State's not playing this weekend. Oregon is. Um, so if Oregon wins this game, based on these rankings, it's win and in. That's the situation for the Ducks because, you know, you've got a, a game this weekend, number five, Oregon versus number three, Washington. Um, that'd be one of the best wins of the year by anyone if Oregon can get that done. So I think the resume stacks up very favorably to anyone that they're competing against for one of those playoff spots. So um, just looking ahead a little bit, all of this is, you know, under the circumstances that Oregon wins. I'm I'm just going to make that caveat right now. But um, obviously, if they don't win this game, they've got um, no spot in the playoff. That's just, just how it works. So you have to win um, in order to get in. And assuming that happens, assuming Georgia wins, assuming Michigan wins, that gives two spots to either the Pac-12 winner, the Big 12 winner, and Florida State, if they can win and do it convincingly. Um, that's still up for a little bit of debate if they're going to get an automatic in as the 13 and 0 ACC champion, um, especially if they barely win this game. Because you know, if you haven't followed the Florida State situation, they lost Jordan Travis, their um, their former Heisman contending quarterback. He broke his leg a couple of weeks ago. Um, they're down to their backup, and but their backup last week um, looked like he got a concussion, and they were down to their third string. But the backup ended up coming back in. We'll see if he ends up playing. But um, they did not look too convincing last week. They barely beat a Florida team that is not bowl eligible. So Florida State is playing Louisville this weekend in the ACC championship game. If they can win that game, and if they can do it convincingly, then yeah, they. They deserve a spot in the playoff. It's, you know, but it, I think that they're going to have to um, do more than just win to convince the committee that they deserve a spot as one of the top four teams in the nation. Because, you know, if they, I think Louisville is ranked, what are they now? 11, 15? I'd have to double check that. They're somewhere in the teens. So Louisville is not the most respected team in the nation. Um, if Florida State goes to, you know, double overtime with them and barely wins, that 13 and 0 is going to be treated differently than if they were to go out and beat Louisville by three touchdowns. If they do that, then yeah, I think they deserve a spot in the playoff. Um, they deserve a chance to get the doors blown off them by Georgia or Michigan. I think that that's, you know, we typically have one playoff game that is kind of lopsided and it, it feels like Florida state could be in for that if they get in this year. If all of that happens, if what I was talking about earlier happens, if you get Georgia win, Michigan win, in that case, you're comparing Oregon most closely with Texas, um, who would in this instance be your big 12 winner with one loss. Right now, Texas has a better resume because they have a bigger win versus Alabama uh, on the road earlier this year. Um, 
they play number 19, Oklahoma State. I believe Oklahoma State's number 19. I forget what they're, um, where they were in the playoff rankings tonight, but AP poll, they're number 19. Um, that's, you know, compared to Oregon, who in this situation would beat a number three, Washington, um, Oregon's resume would be better at that, that point. So um, you look at the wins that Oregon would have. You look at the one loss. Um, Texas's loss was to Oklahoma. I forget what Oklahoma was ranked during that game, but um, I think that based on the ranking, I mean, the committee has had Oregon ranked ahead of Texas as a one-loss team, I think, from the very start of when the CFP rankings were coming out earlier this year. So they've been consistent in the fact that they think Oregon is a better team. I think if both teams win the conference championship games and are being compared as one-loss teams, Duck fans should feel pretty confident that they are the ones that are going to get the nod. Um, And if one of those two teams is left out, it would probably be Texas. Um, it's pretty hard to figure out seeding right now just based on what other teams do. There's so many things, so many scenarios that could take place this weekend. Um, like I said, games against, um, you know, games between Georgia and Alabama, Michigan and, and Iowa, Texas, Oklahoma State, um, and Florida State and Louisville. So those all can go so many different ways. Um, it's It's tough to see what seed Oregon would possibly get if they were to beat Washington this weekend. But in reality, you're probably looking at a matchup in the playoff if they win against Michigan or Georgia, maybe Texas, maybe Florida State, maybe Alabama. Um, we could talk about you know what, I don't I don't want to talk about how we feel about any of those matchups. Let's just focus on this week, this week only. Focus on Washington. That's what matters right now. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But um, like I said, I'll be down there in, in Las Vegas this weekend. Um, uh, actually, it's going to be a crazy weekend because we get down on the game is on Friday night at 5. Um, Oregon is then having um, on Saturday, it's like they're one of their biggest non-conference basketball games in a long time. Michigan is playing at Matt night at noon on Saturday. So I will be on a flight from Vegas to Eugene at 6 a.m. on Saturday, land in Eugene at like 11 a.m. and then go straight to, to Matt night for that game. So it'll be a fun um, action packed weekend. Hopefully it, it starts off on the right note with a, um, an Oregon win over Washington. Hopefully we get another incredibly fun, incredibly stat-filled game from Bo Nix, and we can stop having this, um, I guess, annoying, aggravating Heisman conversation that we've been having about um, Nix and Jaden Daniels. It's getting a little bit old at this point. I'm kind of tired of seeing all of these LSU fans on Twitter and all in my mentions and and just talking about um, all of it. I don't I don't want to get into all of it, but. Uh, I'm ready for that story to be behind us, whether it's Nick's, whether it's Daniel's. I'm I'm kind of tired of talking about it at this point. So um, here's the hoping that all of that goes smoothly and that we can get uh, an entertaining Oregon game and be talking to you again next week, um, kind of previewing what things might look like in the playoff. Knock on wood. Hopefully they can get it done against Washington. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, the plan is to be back this weekend. Let's see. I actually don't know. I don't know when I'll record that podcast because I don't think I will have much time. I may have time after the game. Um, I'll have to think about that. I'll figure out a time. I might do it from a hotel room or something after the game on Friday night. Um, But sometime this weekend, whether it's Friday night, early Saturday morning, Saturday evening, I guess at latest Sunday morning, let's hope I have a podcast out before then. 
um, I'll come back to you with with reactions from this game and just kind of everything that takes place. Um, there's just going to be so much going on. We'll see. Um, but that's, that should be the plan going forward. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys this weekend. Until then, take it easy.